Where does it hurt? Apparently, maybe there. Where does it hurt? The woman had been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. Despite completing her entire life savings for countless experimental treatments that doctor after doctor promised would cure her, not only did they not work, she was actually in more pain and the hemorrhaging even worse than before. As terrible as the disease was, it was only part of her suffering. Her continual bleeding meant that she was considered ritually unclean, banning her from entering the temple and cutting her off from communal and spiritual connection. Again, for 12 years, the illness, poverty, and impurity trifecta made her quite the social pariah. Where did it hurt? Everywhere. We are in the third week of our series, I've Been Meaning to Ask. We started on the first week with the question, where are you from? Last week, Miano asked, what do you need? And today we come to the question, where does it hurt? It is an intense and intimate question, especially outside of a medical context. When we twist our ankle or have a sore throat or cut our hand accidentally, describing what hurts is natural and expected. But to name the pain which comes from rejection, shame, or betrayal, that is territory we may not necessarily want to explore. It might feel easier to numb or distract ourselves with substances or dizziness because we are uncertain of what will happen if we slow down enough to ask and notice, where does it hurt? This story, though, this story reminds us that God cares about our whole being. At this point in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has already healed a leper, a paralytic, a person with a withered hand, an demoniac, and he was on his way to heal a little girl on the brink of death. So it is no surprise that throngs of people are following his every step. Everyone had heard about Jesus the healer, including the woman. So this hemorrhaging woman, she calculated that the crowds would protect her anonymity. No small thing after 12 years of being shunned from temple life. She figured she could just slip in behind and just touch his cloak. That would be enough. And when her bleeding immediately stopped, it could have been the end of the encounter. She was healed, she thought. But it was not enough for Jesus. He knew the healing was not complete. Scanning the throngs, he insisted on seeking the woman out, asking, who touched my clothes? The absurdity of that question was not lost on the disciples, who half-mockingly responded, uh, Jesus, see the crowds? They're pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? But Jesus would not be deterred. He knew there was more that the woman needed. So when she finally came forward, he patiently listened to her whole story. 
not just about the endless flow of blood from her uterus, but the ache in her heart from being denied contact with others. The ways being identified as perpetually unclean shaped her hunched shoulders. The rage boiling in her throat from being stripped destitute by professionals who were supposed to help her. Jesus insists on connecting with her to bring her into relationship, to truly understand where she had been hurt. And then he calls her daughter, bringing her back into community and beginning the healing process from the rejection and shame she had suffered through for so many years. Last week marked the 22nd anniversary of September 11th, a day when most of you were not even alive yet, but almost 3,000 people lost their lives in devastating all of those left behind. So according to the Watson Institute for Brown University, since that day, more than four and a half million people have died in post-9-11 war zones. Over 30,000 U.S. service members and veterans of those wars have died by suicide. The numbers are staggering, staggering. And they still do not even take into account the suffering that followed from each person's death. In reflecting upon the aftermath of 9-11, Valerie Moore, whom I quoted a couple weeks ago, said this, unresolved grief in a person is tragic. Unresolved grief in a nation is catastrophic. It releases enormous aggression. Where does it hurt? To ask this question is to name the ways in which grief resides in our bodies so that we can metabolize instead of metastasize. It is what enables us to love our enemies rather than annihilate them. This is essential for those who want to follow Jesus. When we do not give space for grieving, we become cut off from ourselves and also one another. And often the result is more harm. You can see this time and time again. The reason we ask, where does it hurt, is so that we can move through the pain towards God's grace and healing. It is how we remember whose we are and to whom we belong. That is, we are beloved children of God, and we belong to one another. So how do we do this? How do we actually do this? Because unfortunately, we live in a time when traumatic events are part of the daily news feed in ways that really do not serve anyone except to, to sow more anxiety and fear. If we are going to ask this question, because it's a pretty intense question, it must be with intention and care, because we have to create an environment where we can sit and breathe through the sharing of these stories with compassion. It will require us to slow down, and become fully present to ourselves so that we can give our full presence to each other. Let me say that again. We have to become fully 
present to ourselves so that we can give our full presence to others. Niara and I have talked about how spending regular time with one another is essential. That's why we keep telling you over and over again that we gather together for weekly worship for small groups and coffee buddies. We do all that because we know that that kind of time together is how conversations can go deeper with the opportunity to ask meaningful questions. Those are all important. I also want to share another way that helps form us into people who are able to be fully present to ask these kinds of questions. And more importantly, to actually be able to metabolize responses so that healing can begin. Some of you know that one of my own spiritual practices is the Korean martial art Taekwondo. If you don't know, the goal of Taekwondo, if you kind of go back to the founder of it, is total mind and body unity, really this integration. And over the years, I've discovered what many seasoned martial artists learn, which is repetition shapes you. Intentional repetition can transform you. So doing Taekwondo for me is not ultimately about performing kicks or punches. That's not what it's really about. It is about embodying spiritual values. There are named values in Taekwondo that aims to achieve our courtesy, perseverance, self-control, integrity, and indomitable spirit. So it is my prayer practice because it is through moving with these intentions in my body that my reflexes are trained towards respecting others. That my muscles develop the endurance to continue when I encounter pain. Over the years of my practice, I have been cultivating self-control in my impulses and repeating forms thousands of times to deepen my integrity. The rituals of belt tests, those experiences have strengthened my spirit, helping me to become more indomitable Ultimately, I practice Taekwondo because it helps me to stay fully in my body, to not disconnect from what is happening around me, but to really be present. For only when I am fully present to myself can I give my full presence to another person and love them. Now, I know martial arts is not for everyone, though if you are curious, I invite you to come try this Tuesday upstairs in our press house dojo. I'll be there. But another way we explore this is through embodied faith, also in the Press House Dojo. This is a space we created for movement-based spiritual practice, really to figure out in our bodies how we become these things that we profess to, to believe. Dojo is a Japanese word which can be translated as a place of the way, and the emphasis is on experiential learning. We practice centering our bodies, another way of describing what it means to be fully present to yourself to what's around you, so that we can ask questions like, where does it hurt? What is the shape of our grief? And then as we ask those questions, breathe and move through the pain instead of ignoring or denying it. We lean into the conviction that we are created in God's image as good, and that her spirit is moving and at work in our very we learn to pay attention so that we can hear the wisdom that our bodies have to offer. For they have a lot of wisdom, we just need to listen. Evan and I are completing this gathering where we will play gentle movements. 
and try various kinds of meditation. We invite you to join us. To be a community where we can ask one another, where does it hurt, is to be a healing space. One where we remember that we are beloved children of God and that we belong to one another. So slow down. Be gentle with yourself. And together may we become brave enough to breathe through the pain. Jesus is there waiting to hear our whole stories. Amen.